Okay. So before Mike and I sat down to record this episode, we were just kind of riffing on some stories that highlight achievements uh, that emerge through these like high pressure circumstances. Anyways, he, he described to me through a story, he described to me the difference between quitting versus giving up. And it was awesome. Um, spoiler alert. He didn't talk about it in this episode. I hoped it would come up, but it didn't. Lucky for you, the, the discussion was just that much better. And that's the reason it didn't come up. Uh, also lucky for you, I'm definitely going to record with Mike again so we can hear uh, this take on quitting versus giving up. Okay, let's go into this. Hey, welcome to Feldman Porch. I've got Mike Millsap with me today. Mike is a really good friend of mine. We're both foreign officers retiring. He's retiring. He's on his way out, leaving the leaving the army to go do awesome things. Mike has been a really great friend of mine. He's helped me through some things, helped me sort some things out, helped me see some things differently. Worked with me on some innovation projects in the army. Did some things, Mike. Man, tell us about yourself. Other than what I just said about who you are to me, oh, man. <laughs> or you can restate that. I don't know. I guess, I guess it all depends on where you start. Yeah, retiring soon, soon within a year. And uh, I've, I've 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 dabbled in a little bit of everything. I've just kind of followed. This is another really great quote that I've borrowed from someone. I followed the opportunities. Uh-huh. And and the army has showed me a pretty good time because uh-huh. of it. So where are you now? Like, yeah, like where where are you in the army now? Oh, are you in the army. What's your rank? What do you do? Tell us about that. I'm I'm a CW two. Uh, Chief Warrant Officer 2. I work, I'm in the Signal Corps. I'm the Brigade Automation Tech. And I, I came in as a PV2 Bradley mechanic. So, yeah, I've, I've pivoted during my career. But again, uh, I followed the opportunity, which at the time didn't look like opportunity. I thought I was stumbling and I thought I, thought I was going to be redirected and I would have to <clears throat> settle for a lower like climax in my career and it just it just didn't work out that way for me largely because of the people mm-hmm. i would say uh, i met some really good people the right people one would say and uh, yeah they they afforded me the opportunity the chance they gave me the rope to yeah. borrow to borrow a vernacular <laughs> and i i've done okay i think yeah you said you, you came in as a Bradley mechanic and now you wound up as a signalier. Yeah. Let's go. Signalier. Signalier. Yeah. Signalier. <clears throat> You're the brigade tech. Tell us about that. What do you do with uh, with signal in brigade? So I'm the the systems technician. So all of the automation services that we provide both both tactical and enterprise services. So some of the enterprise services are some of the stuff that some services that any normal person would use. Email file share portal or sharepoint um, and, and then some of the back-end services like uh, for system administrators like uh mecm or secm for like managing things uh and then on the tactical side you know all of the flavors of the things that we use in the army yeah did you go from you went from being a bradley mechanic to being a signal warrant officer or what, no. what was so, the transition so i 
when I when I joined the army, uh, I picked a Bradley mechanic because I didn't want to be just a regular wheeled mechanic, mm-hmm. right? I was just yeah. like, oh, that seems very generic. Yeah. That's, that's you. <laughs> so, and I didn't know anything about any of the vehicles. I didn't do re- research before. And smartphones weren't a thing when I joined, so I couldn't just like pull my phone out and be like, oh, well, what's that? Look it up real quick. Yeah. But being a specialized mechanic on an armored vehicle, I thought, well, that's pretty cool. And at the time, it was a Star MOS. At the time, I didn't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. And through the inertia of just going through the pipeline, uh, being joining the Army and the Star MOS didn't really mean anything anyway. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. Because <laughs> by the time I would have been eligible for a promotion, that ship had sailed. Like, like that whole wave was already gone. The whole MOS was gone, <clears throat> right? Yeah, well... Because Brad, uh, Bradley's became, oh, what was the Bradley? Bradley was the 63, or 91. What was it when you came in? The the MOS stayed the same, but the whole what, MSC code uh-huh. changed. Because uh-huh. we were all 63 series. Yeah. And then we all changed to 91. Okay. But my, my MOS, I came after the, the two MOSs merged, right? So there was, a, there was a separate turret mechanic, and then there was a hull mechanic. Mm-hmm. And I joined after those MOSs had merged. So then it was one person's job to maintain the entire vehicle. Whereas before it was two people's job. Sure. And then you could argue a third for the gun. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just did that for 10 years-ish, 10-ish years. And <clears throat> uh, I almost got out of the Army because of my you know, family members. You know, it, it made the most sense, I thought at the time, for my family, for me to get out around 10 years. Uh-huh. And then uh, I realized that it was not. And then when I when I reenlisted, like I had to recover from that decision to get out of the military. Yeah. Because I I made that decision outside of the surge. During the surge, if you like signed a, a deck statement, a declination of continued service statement, they would just you could just reenlist and it just disappeared like it was no big deal. Yeah. And you yeah. got a bonus and like life was good. When I tried to recover from that same statement. It was like right after the surge. And so then I had to, so I had hoops to jump through. Like Mm -hmm. I had, it was like, I had to get, I had to get approval from company battalion and brigade level commanders saying, yeah, we'll keep this guy. Yeah. 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 And I had to like, I had to do my own memorandum saying why I should stay and why I was a bonehead and decided that I was going to sign the statement (laughs) to begin with. Yeah. And then after all that, all of, after all those hoops, I had to then re-enlist needs of the army. Yeah. So I ran the risk of like being a cook, like just being, not that cooks are terrible, but like, yeah, you'd after, after you've been in and you meat patties for, yeah, after you've been doing, I was, I was completely just what I had to join. I had to reenlist for whatever the army needed me to be. And just so happened to be that they were short 25 Bravos, uh, information technology specialists. And so I just was like, all right, let's do it. Yeah. So I just pivoted from bending wrenches in the motor pool to banging on keyboards. Uh, yeah. And I, and the, the army does a very good job of giving you the skills to be successful. Yeah. You just have to like, you just got to meet them halfway and be like, all right, well, I'm going to take that and apply it forward instead of just waiting to be spoon fed. What kind of stuff did you take forward from being a Bradley mechanic into 25 Bravo? Ooh. So I, that's a good question. So being, so I'm going to say this it might not be very popular, but most army mechanics, most mechanics actually yeah. 
Yeah. They're just parts changers. They don't actually know what they're doing. And then if they're following a TM, they're just doing what the book tells them to do. They don't know why they're doing it. They don't know they don't know the reason behind what they're doing. They're just good at following instructions. Yeah. Which is not a bad thing, but um, I had a unique opportunity to work with some real smart people on my deployments. I'll give a shout out to Scott, uh, <laughs> Mr. Rossum. And working with him, he's an incredibly smart man. And working with him and, and kind of like just riding his coattails and just helping him with whatever projects he was doing, it gave me the understanding and the curiosity to want to learn. And so that's when I transitioned from being a part changer to mechanic, in my opinion. <clears throat> so I had a I had a much deeper understanding of how things worked in general. Yeah. So Yeah, so having that that base of how things work transitioning over to being an IT guy, I understand most of my not all of my job is like hardware related, mm -hmm. but it's 100% logic. So I think it translated pretty well. And then it and and then I was able to <clears throat> operate somewhat outside of the scope of my expect like my my expected duties mm -hmm. uh, be just because i just i knew i could do that yeah like i knew that i could do that and there was there was benefit and there was value in me doing these things that are not part of my scope of responsibilities but just because they weren't hard for me to do but most people are just too afraid to do them yeah yeah so yeah i think it like Looking, looking back, I, I think the 25 uniforms, which are predominantly radio folks, mm -hmm. they are, I think, in my opinion, they make the better 255 alphas, which is what my MOS is, mm -hmm. uh, just because of, in the tactical arena. But then when it comes to enterprise, not that they suck in, yeah. at enterprise levels, but they just have a, they've got, they've got a better exposure to so many more systems than say a 25 Bravo, which is what my enlisted MOS was. Yeah. That's very like, this is my computer and I help with these servers. And that's kind of like their scope. Right. If they go outside of that, then they're just, that's just free chicken. They're just like looking to, you know, make themselves better. Sure. But they have a much more narrow scope where the uniform is like a mile wide. What happened when uh, from twenty five Bravo to I'm gonna I'm gonna go warrant officer I want to pursue this route. So, so not only did I have to reenlist to be needs of the army as a job, I had to reenlist needs of the army as an assignment, and so they sent me to Korea, which okay. is where nobody wants to go apparently. <laughs> and so I went over I went over to Korea, and I was surrounded, fortunately, by a bunch of great people a bunch of great people the some of the signal warrant officers that i worked with there i was honestly unimpressed by mm -hmm. and so i was concerned because as a mechanic i kind of like most of us just kind of scoffed and looked down our noses at a lot of the s6 folks because we didn't see what they were doing so sure. it seemed like they weren't ever doing much that said now that i've been s6 Oh my God, those poor guys are red ragged. <laughs> and but I, but you never see that as 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 on the other side. Mm -hmm. uh, going back to Korea, like I saw some some le some signal leaders that I was just unimpressed by, and I thought, well, and to be fair, it was a, it was a strategic signal unit, mm -hmm. so it wasn't like a BCT where you've got a mix of all these different jobs. 
every single person there is a signal air and a communicator. And I was being coming out of being a mechanic and then going into an, an environment where everyone is the same. I was just like, Oh my gosh, I can't stand this. I'm surrounded by nerds. Like, and they, and I was just, I leaned into the things that I, I were foundational for me because uh, I spent almost 10 years in a brigade combat team, the same one. Mm-hmm. And we had very high standards. And so I drove those standards into my soldiers and uh, those, those soldiering standards allowed me to crush it on my evals. Right. So I'm a, I'm yeah. a brand new reclass. I don't know much about signaling, but I'm compared to all these other guys. I'm an awesome soldier. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, you know, I scored, I, I got into CrossFit and I consistently scored three hundreds while I was there. Yeah. Uh, I shot 40, 40 at the range, like on paper, like I was the man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I just, you know, I had a lot to learn signal related my job, yeah. but thankfully I had some, some really good mentors and really good. Uh, some of, some of the leaders over there were, were really, really good at recognizing potential and then like promoting it, like helping you realize your own potential. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I had a great team. So David Meyer, Steve Stapleton were some of the, the signaliers that were like, that helped mold me and like helped me to become the singular that I am. Yeah, yeah. And then I had a great team. Like they were all junior soldiers, but like they could run certain, like I, I got there as a, a brand new signalier. So while I was good at soldiering stuff, I didn't jack about signal. Yeah. I knew as much as a private did, but I just made sure I was on, I was part of everything that they did. Yeah. I'm sure I slowed them down tremendously, <laughs> <laughs> but I learned so much from these kids and uh, yeah, I like, it's very like, yeah, nothing but great times. Caleb Ashby, Jessica, Jessica Persley, uh, Fernando. Did you choose Diaz. those people? Like you chose they, That was the team that was already there. <clears throat> but uh, you chose to be like, you've, you, did you seek them out more than, more than just the, the job, the formation? I mean, it's Korea. Like Korea is a different beast, right? Korea is not just like a Fort Bragg or Jay Bear or, you know, Fort Carson where you can, it's nine to five, you go home, you come back. You know, Korea is, it's kind of a different piece, right? You're, you're sort of always at work. No, I've never been. It, uh, you're not gonna like this answer, but it depends. Right. So a lot of people who go to Korea, a lot of people go to Korea because it is only a year. You're, you, you get to go and leave without having to own without having to really own anything, mm-hmm. right? Because like your first three months, you're figuring it out. Mm-hmm. Your last three months, you're on your way out. So you mm-hmm. got like six months where it's just like, all right, this is my this is my jam and I have no excuses to not produce. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, That's and then- being in any country, right? But, but then the leadership also recognized that dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. And so like the people who extend there, the people who bring their families, so they de facto extended, they slam those dudes with like everything. Mm-hmm. And the people who are there for a year, which is the army's requirement, they're just kind of like, oh, well, you're not going to be here that long. So in order to improve the continuity of the organization, you just get to come and go, which sucks for the guys who are like, oh, well, I'm going to be here a little longer for whatever their case yeah. is. 
although I was only going to be there for a year, it all, my, my timing of being there was also during a, a die cap inspection. So in Signal, especially on the, the network of side of things, they have these huge inspections where mm. they have to come in and they have to assess vulnerabilities. And for many, many years, the network over there was not exactly up to snuff. Mm-hmm. But it's either it's either someone just assumes the risk and we just keep operating, or they just turn the network off. <laughs> well, obviously, option B is just not going to happen. Yeah. So you just have to work with what you got. But while we were there, through like the guidance of the net tech that I worked with, David Meyer, like we we worked a lot of late nights. We worked a lot of weekends. We learned a lot. I I learned a lot. And like we, while I was there that one year and during that inspection, it was like the first time we passed in like, like over a decade. It was, <laughs> it was wild. So yeah, it was, it was a good feeling to like be able to affect that change, but not being there during the previous failures, I guess it didn't really have perspective. It was yeah. like, oh, okay. We worked late and we, 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 we did good and we passed the thing. Yeah. Right. You know, there wasn't a lot of context to the work we had done. But uh, yeah, I learned I learned a lot during my time there. Yeah. A lot, a lot because of that. And then uh, PCS now. And then while I was there, my net tech, and he was like, "Hey, you should put your warrant packet in." And I was just like, "Whoa, fella! <laughs> I'm brand new at this. If it looks like I'm crushing it, I'm not. <laughs> like I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm like, like I said, I leaned into the things that I was good at, and I'm trying to learn these other things." But there's a lot that I don't know. And I didn't want to be... It was important to me that I that I didn't put myself in a position where I'm expected to know all this mm-hmm. and I don't. Okay. Like, that's yeah. terrifying, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Like, to be like, you're the man. Like, yeah, you're the yeah. one person in the organization that's supposed to know these things and you don't. Yeah. And that, But it's your job to know. Yeah, yeah. It's not like it would be, it'd be great if you knew this. Like, that's why you no, exist. That's why you're a warrant officer. Yeah. Yeah. And so, for because of that, I was like, "No, nah, I'm good, man. Like, thanks, but no thanks." And so I, I declined, uh, and I just PCSed out and went to my next duty station. And it wasn't until I was working there that I was I was dealing with a lot of equipment that was outside of my normal stuff, mm-hmm. and all the stuff that was in my scope, I was, I was crushing it. Yeah, I was like, "Oh, this is easy," you know. I mean, easy, you know, for someone who's been doing the job for two years. Sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was doing okay. And, and I, and I cared, like, it's not like I, I did the minimum and checked my boxes and I went home early. Like I cared and I was looking for ways to improve things. And so then once I realized like, okay, okay, this isn't too bad. Like I could, I could do this. And I was learning all this other stuff that was not my normal job. And so I reached back out to my net tech from Korea mm-hmm. uh, and uh, asked him if he would still support me. And he was like, yeah, if you're willing to do the work. <laughs> yeah, if you're willing to do the work. And so he asked me for a couple documents, you know, just to make sure that <clears throat> both that, you know, I'm still like not being still a Still on your shit. Yeah. yeah. And, and he needed that, those documents to kind of help my packet because he was also still a two, mm-hmm. right? So he needed, you know, people with more rank to like sign the things. And so fortunately, while I was on Peninsula, there's two major 
exercises. Mm-hmm. Here's a, a key resolve and then like UFG, OG Freedom Guardian. And that's where like all these other organizations come on to Peninsula for this culminating training event. Yeah. And while I was there, a lot of warrant officers from Hawaii came and I met them. Eric Bray, Michael Garner, they were CW4 and CW3, uh, respectively, who I got a chance to work with and meet. And got. And then later on, thank goodness, like when it was time to like move forward with my own warrant officer desires, like it was Eric Bray who was the one who wrote and signed my letter. Yeah. And I'd, I'd met him once, you know? So... That, that was one of the things that was kind of profound to me. Like I was, I'm grateful. I'm still, I'm still thankful that he like invested in me mm-hmm. in that way. But, uh, yeah, if you, if you have a chance to meet somebody or whatever, yeah, just, you know, ensure you take advantage of it. Yeah. A lot of people say like, it's not, it's not about what you know, it's who you know. And it's, that's not even the case actually. Right. It's about who knows you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you can know a million people, but if they don't remember who you are, well, that means nothing. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, I guess that's my takeaway from that. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Like, rewinding through some of that about, like, following opportunities. Like, a lot of people are scared of opportunities, right? They're, like, opportunities present themselves and then... Yeah, so in the case of a transition to a warrant, like, I was at that sweet spot where I was... So if you stay your cor- if you stay the course enlisted, as long as you make it to staff sergeant, you're you're safe to retire, right? You're okay. not at risk of like being kicked out of RCP or anything like that. If you transition to warrant too early and you you don't you don't meet the requirement, like mm-hmm. you're not competitive enough, or yeah. like you don't have that same safety net. Yeah, yeah. Like if if the army doesn't need you, they're not going to keep you. Yeah, that's it. Thanks and for playing. You're done. Your time is up. Yeah. Non-select, Non-select. for promotion. You leave, you leave. You leave empty-handed before promotion or before retirement time. Yeah, that was that was scary. Because mm-hmm. because I it's not I had not been doing this job my entire career. Yeah. I transitioned around ten years, and I only been doing it for two years. And I was just like, well, I guess I'm good enough. So it was a risk. It was a huge risk. <clears throat> I was okay enough at it. So. Follow the opportunities. Right? Um, yeah, there's a huge risk. There is a huge risk there. Uh, I think a lot of us take that risk. Actually, some of us take it unknown, but we we walk into it anyways for the the possibility of you know a better outcome. Yeah. And you said like do doing the stuff that's not your job, like finding the things or or you know, uh, I I can't remember who told me that, but there was it was probably some sergeant first class. When I was younger, that that I heard say something like, "I don't want to hear it's not my job." Like it's not my job is not a thing. Like you were asked to do it, you were expected yeah. to do it. You were, like, what happens now with it's not your job? I can't stand hearing it either. I don't know. It's it's some crusty old NCO that said it, <laughs> that probably said it to me too. When I hear someone say that's not my job, my blood boils. Yeah, yeah, got it. How Every- many? I've done I, so much stuff in my career that wasn't my job. <laughs> I've heard that, like my thing uh, when people ask me like about like being a warrant officer and what it means. I'm, I'm like be like being a warrant officer is like doing 43 MOSs. I try to describe it to them that way because there's four, what 40 it is 43 right 43 or 49 some odd number. 
I'm screwing up right now, but I think it's 43 MOSs of warrant officer, but all of us are chief. Mm-hmm. Every one of us are chief. And so many of them don't know the difference between all of us that they'll just ask a question. So you have a battalion commander who goes like, ah, oh, warrant officer, there's a chief. Hey, chief, what's the, like, what's the amount of ammunition that I'm able to draw during this training period? And you're, you, you can't, you can't look at them and go like, I'm, a, I'm an automotive tech or I'm a net tech. You, the answer has to be like, Hey, I don't, it's that bored answer. Hey, I don't know right now, sir, but let me go find that out for you. Yeah. I'll find it out. That's a right? good, that's a good example you gave because ironically, you guys are in the same branch. Yeah. Ammo and maintenance. Ammo and maintenance yeah. You're both ordinance. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. They just ran out of symbols when they were coming up with stuff. And they <laughs> we're just like, all right, well, we'll just stick these two together. But yeah, the whole like, dude, that's not my job is not a thing. You said like surrounding yourself with great people, but it wasn't just like the great people that you described. It was people who, the, like the net text and stuff that, that you just said that created opportunities for you. It was the people who like, what's the difference between like, you know, somebody who's like, uh, you should do that. And somebody who's like, you should do that. And they like pull you up. You know, like, you need to come take my place or because that was kind of what you were describing with your you say what's the difference yeah oh that's it's easy the people the difference is i know (laughs) so the difference is it's one thing to say hey you should do that in passing but the people that i endear that have helped me they didn't just say yeah i think you'd be okay at that you should really put your name in the hat. Yeah. They they invested in me. Yeah. Whether that be time or their own energy, they invest like they saw potential in me and they made an investment. And like that's the thing that I remember. Cuz we we come across so many people mm-hmm. uh in the military and most of them are barely barely getting by themselves, right? So yeah. You know, maybe they're just like, maybe they got really lucky because someone invested in them and they didn't realize like what was going on. Mm-hmm. And they were, they just thought that this just happens to everybody. And so in passing, they're just like, yeah, you should do that. Finger guns and move yeah. out. Yeah. When the, when the real leadership is like, they're taking care of the person and they're like, not just saying, hey, you should do this. You should do this. Let me help you. Yeah. Let me get you started. Because there's like... Changing and in, changing industries yeah. is daunting. Yeah, like I honestly I picked mechanic when I joined because I was familiar with it as a kid, and I just knew that I needed. It was almost like the path of least resistance for uh-huh. me. I was just like, well, I'm interested in, in turning wrenches. I'm okay at it. Let me just do this. That was like my easy button because okay. I just like I just had to you know get out of the house and not come back okay. an opportunity presented yeah. itself and that was the easy one yeah, yeah. yeah okay and then later on I, I you know i transitioned to a different industry yeah and so yeah it was like oh my god there's a lot to learn and even as a chief like i don't like it blows my mind how much i don't know yeah because yeah. it's it's you know it's, it's information technology and then it's and just changing, changing rapidly every, yeah almost every day you not only that but like it's so broad mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you can't, you can't be great at everything. You kind of, kind of pick a track. 
yeah and focus on that how many days is it until information technology for a 20 uh, 255 becomes augmented reality and terrain models oh man it's not far off it's right it's not going to be far it's not far off now yeah <laughs> until it gets to my level where i operate that's a different story well you said you described like learning everything and being a part of as much as you can like and that's like number one step you said like follow all your opportunities but like learning as much as you can as possible and 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 being a part of as much as possible like what like that's a huge part of of where you got to where you are in iraq with what was the gentleman's name who taught you like electronics and stuff scott scott yeah. right scott from a guy all of a sudden you're doing micro computing and and uh, and and what what is it uh, Arduino Arduino stuff yeah the microcontrollers and things yeah yeah into like oh man I can fix anything on a truck actually because I understand logic yeah so yeah so for example like an ECM or a, a module of mm -hmm. any kind on a vehicle it's just a little microcontroller sure. so and, and in many respects you could replace those microcontrollers with an Arduino board sure. All of it is just a yes/no conversation. Yeah, it's a yes/no conversation. Most of it even uses a five volt reference, a five volt reference, mm -hmm. which is a lot of the, the same voltage that most of those boards use. Some of them are like three point three volts. Sure. For some of the smaller ones, but yeah, yeah. But it's still, it's still a five volt reference. And then, like once you understand that, it's just like, it's like being able to see the like to read the matrix code. You know what mm -hmm, I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's it's like oh, this whole time it was it's been that simple. And it, and that and that electronics, you know, they kind of they they they're kind of the same across the board. So if you had like the last thing you mentioned was like finding a sponsor, and you use the word invest. Somebody invested in me. Finding a sponsor uh, and finding somebody to actually invest in you. What's something that you would tell somebody who's listening to right, this right now? Like, how does that work out between all these steps that you connected of following opportunities to doing stuff that's not your job to just like finding somebody who invest in you? How does that work out? Like, how do you find someone? Yeah. How do you, how does that work out? For it you? doesn't, it doesn't start by going and looking for that person. They're going to come to you. Yeah. But you don't get, those people don't come to you if you're the person who says, that's not my job. Yeah. Or you do the minimum. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Because yeah. you don't have the right attitude for it. So if you are that person who's like, oh, I'll work on that. I can figure that out. And you're just, you're, you are willing to make the organization better mm -hmm. however you can. Like, you're, you're the, like, when you do that, like, people are drawn to that. Yeah. And they want to invest in that. It's almost like stocks. It's like, that's awesome. Let me, I'll put some money down on that. That's the guy. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's the one that's going to, that's the one that's going to, that's going to grow. And so if you're just, if you're constantly just doing the right thing and you're just taking care of other people, you're fixing problems in your organization, you're just showing the initiative, people are going to want to be a part of that. Yeah. yeah. And they're going to come to you and they're going to say, Hey, I like what, I like what I see. You've got potential. They may even say those words <laughs> and, uh, they're going to kind of help you. And if they're not, then, well, you probably don't want them as a mentor anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's awesome. So if you're listening to this, 
follow the opportunities. Whatever comes your way, take it. It's probably got something to learn from, grow from. Doing the stuff that's not your job. If you're saying, that's not my job, I don't want to do it. Like, that's an immediate thing that's going to hold you back. You're holding yourself back to saying, that's not my job. Surround yourself not with just great people, but with people who are going to create opportunities for you. And you said learning is everything that you can. Be a part of it as much as you can. And lastly, you dropped was finding a sponsor in that. If there was one last thing that you wanted to tell anybody who's listening, what would that be? My instinct just says, don't be scared of it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's two things I'll say. Follow the opportunity. I, 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 that was one of the one-liners I picked up from Bill Flynn, mm-hmm. our trail boss that just mm-hmm. retired. And then there was, a, there was an E5 back when I was a specialist. I don't remember the gentleman's name, but we were on a guard. We were on an ECP camp called Well, Iraq. And I was talk, I was kind of just sharing my story about wanting to become a warrant officer. At that time, I wanted to be an aviator. And he told me the biggest failure in life is failure to try. And this was, this was like 2005. And those words still resonate with me. Mm-hmm. So that's how much it impacted me. And so yeah, you're going to miss every opportunity. This sounds cliche. You're going to miss every opportunity you don't take. Yeah. yeah. So just put your, just do it. Like, <laughs> whoosh. Just, just do, do it. it. <laughs> let let was, the system tell you now. That is awesome. Mike, thank you so much for talking with me. Dilly dilly. Dilly dilly. <laughs> All right. Well, that is, that is that. And thank you for listening. If you're still here, thank you so much. Um, thank you to Denland Group for helping to craft this idea, put it together, and make it what it is, giving the heartbeat to the podcast as it stands. Um, keep coming back. We were going to record episodes with people like uh, we've got a Vietnam veteran. He was a, he was a, a lieutenant, second oldest person in his, in his platoon. He's going to share stories about leading through uh, the Vietnam War. We've got Matt Denny. Mohawk uh, from Denlin Group is going to come share stories about branding and just generally being awesome. Um, we've got a sports psychologist who trains with Green Berets at Robin Sage there at Fort Bragg. Um, people out of space. We've got people out of the banking industry, people out of uh, cybersecurity coming. It's, it's going to be awesome. So keep coming back. These episodes are just going to keep getting better.